Beginning tomorrow, we'll start a uh, study in Romans. But tonight, I'm just going to use this as an introduction to the book itself, or to the type material that we'll be looking at. Uh, first of all, I think you can all see this. Do, uh, I don't know if this was in your Sunday paper. It was in mine this week. Uh, everybody here familiar with the name Carl Sagan? Okay. Uh, Carl, article by Carl Sagan, Shadows of Our Forgotten Ancestors. And this is an excerpt from a book that he is that is going to come out. Uh, by the way, he's one of the most uh, popular writers in science for the publication that's in the Sunday insert. And so then we turn over here and we find about our forgotten ancestors. <laughs> right over here. <laughs> I don't know. He probably with his beard, he looks a little more like me. But anyway, he. Uh, Mark's got more than I've got. You're a little closer to him, Mark. But anyway, the article is uh, obviously Carl Sagan is uh, a very popular writer in our society. Uh, he didn't pay anything to get. They paid him uh, to write this. Uh, he is an atheist, uh, a secular humanist, and an atheist. Uh, another very popular writer is uh, Isaac Asimov. Uh, any of you that deal with the school system, uh, Isaac Asimov is probably... Uh, written and published more materials for young people on an elementary level in the field of science than any other writer in our generation. Uh, he's an atheist also. Uh, in the article, there's not even any mention or allusion to uh, uh, anything about the creation from God's standpoint or anything. There's just simply the assumption uh, that the general population already knows better than that. And that's true with Azibo's uh, uh, material also. Uh, organic evolution is taught from the word go as a fact within the textbooks. It's, uh, it's the basis for a lot of our laws or things that are going on on TV. Uh, within our textbooks, you find almost no mention of, of God. You would never gather in the social studies books that are being used in our system now you would never gather from studying them uh, that the fact that the majority of our population in years past have been religious people. Uh, from watching TV, uh, I don't know how much you watch, if you even just see the review. I don't really don't watch much of it myself, but I watch the little advertisements and I read the reviews and things like that. And I watch news specials like 2020, etc. But just from what little I see, I know that there is nothing that portrays Christianity or in any positive way whatsoever anywhere on TV. Uh, you can watch all their programs and never gather that uh, the majority of our population is actually religious. Uh, despite all the, the emphasis in the news coverage and all, 80% of the population claims to believe in Jesus, about 95% claim belief in God. Uh, more than 50% say that they pray on a regular basis. Uh, the majority of our population says that their belief in God is an important part of their decision-making process. But you would never gather this. Uh, some of you in my age category, there's not many here, Alva, and some of them, I thought about the, the young man they were saying was old at 40. I, I turned 53 a couple of days ago. <laughs> But anyway, I really don't believe, uh, going on down towards the younger generation, I don't, even, I don't believe they can appreciate fully the change that's taken place in our society uh, in this past generation. Uh, in our court system, the laws that are passed, um, I don't want to get into any political thing, it's just I'm interested from the religious and philosophical view, but just the fact that the, uh, the vice president uh, could mention... Uh, What's that lady's name again? Is it Murphy Brown? Murphy Brown. Apparently a lady that uh, I've really never seen her program, but apparently she is uh, pregnant uh, without benefit of marriage in the program. And so an illusion that he thought that was glorifying signal parenthood, and I guess he's been the buddy of a multitude of jokes. Uh, he's the laughing stock of our society. Uh, uh, the fact that anybody would think that there is uh, anything wrong or anything with that type of behavior. Uh, on, on various talk shows such as Donahue and, and similar ones, uh, the person who would espouse the uh, morality that's taught in the Bible would actually be laughed at. 
I mean, it would be booed from the audience that, uh, that you could be so naive, for example, as to believe that uh, homosexuality is a perversion of the way that uh, you ought to conduct yourself from a sexual standpoint. Uh, the laws are changing in Tennessee. You may do it, but it is, it is against the law to have a prayer before a football game. At gradual, <coughs> gradual graduation ceremonies, it's against the law to have prayer at the ceremony itself. Uh, it's against the law to have prayer at any time in class. Uh, it's against the law to, uh, to have the, the teaching of the Bible in any way. Uh, in Kentucky, several counties, one Anderson County that's in my mind, uh, last year were forced to take the Ten Commandments off the wall in one of the schools. The reason they took it off is that they had been challenged, and rather than try and fight the ACLU in court, and, and take a chance that they would probably lose, and they knew it, and if they won, it would cost them money, so they just took it off. Uh, Kentucky, a recent law that just stood the test by the Kentucky Supreme Court is that they are striking all laws in their state that uh, in any way say anything negative at all about homosexuality or, or that type of behavior. Uh, in California, a couple of years back, this material in the publication called the American Family Association, uh, edited by Donald Wildman, um, a couple refused to rent to a, a homosexual, a practicing homosexual couple. Uh, they took them to court, uh, the couple that refused to rent, and they said they refused because of their conscience, that they were religious people and they could not conscientiously rent their residence out to practicing homosexuals. They lost. Uh, they were told that if they were going to rent housing in California, there would be no sexual discrimination. They would either rent to homosexuals, they had no choice in the matter, or get out of the renting business. Uh, a similar case in Massachusetts, same result. Uh, North Dakota, a, a biology teacher uh, using the traditional textbook, uh, not teaching uh, creation from the Bible, but simply presenting the view of, of creation science. In other words, the fact that there is evidence for creation from a scientific standpoint, uh, separate apart from the statement in Genesis, and just simply pointing out that there was alternative information uh, was fired from his job as he was turned into the school board. Um, examples of people that have uh, been fired because they refused to sell pornography, uh, the number one promoter of pornography, by the way, in our country is the Holiday Inn. Uh, in, their, in the videos that they have uh, or show within the Inn in their X-rated movies, they are the number one seller of pornography in our country, the, the family store. Uh, the number one seller in print is uh, Walden Books, owned by Kmart, the number one publisher of pornography in our country. All right, now... All of this, of course, we know is going on right now. Now, the article that I hand you, if you'd like to pick it up and take the time to read it later, but let me just read a few excerpts that I've got highlighted here, and then you look it over later. I, I copied this out of the Chattanooga paper in the section under Church News this past Saturday. Uh, 52, <clears throat> I'm in the second paragraph, 52 of our nation's 55 founding fathers were Orthodox evangelical Christians. 34% uh, of all their quotes came from the Bible. Another 60% of their quotes were from men who used the Bible to form their conclusions about government. In all, 94% of our founding fathers' quotes were Bible-based, according to a study from the University of Houston. That's not a religious study, but the secular University of Houston. Uh, dropping into the next paragraph, right about the middle, John Quincy Adams, uh, the highest glory of, American, of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissolvable bond the principles of civil government and the principles of Christianity. It was unthinkable to our founding fathers that the Bible and Christian teachings would be removed from our schools. At the time, the Bible was the principal textbook in our schools, and other textbooks drew upon its truths to educate children. Uh, drop in on over to the other page, quote from James Madison, top of the column. The Bi if the Bible is ever removed from the schools, notice, we will suffer an explosion of crime. Uh, and of course, what, what have we got in the United States? And this was by James Madison a multitude of years ago. 
Two Supreme Court statements. Notice the difference. 1844, middle of the next paragraph. The Supreme Court concluded that our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based on the most and must embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. Can you imagine a statement of that from the Supreme Court? That's 1844. The court cited 87 different historical and legal precedents from the founding fathers, the Congress, and the state governments. Another challenge in 1853 prompted a one-year congressional study of our history. The resulting House report said, had the people during the revolution a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revelation would have been strangled in its cradle. In this age, there is no substitute for Christianity. Now, this is a statement from the Supreme Court. In this age, there is no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the Republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. The father of our country, George Washington, still speaks to us through his famous farewell address to the American people, which was formerly in all history books and memorized by students. It is now unknown to our students because it is filled with religious references. Uh, by the way, I taught uh, uh, social studies uh, and science when I was teaching in the 7th and 8th grade area. And I've also been on every committee since I've been in Grundy County that has picked textbooks for social studies and science. Uh, there is no social studies book that I know of in print that will quote the parts of the speeches from these men that were, were they quoted from the Bible or was religiously based. There's just none I'm aware of. I gleaned them as best I could. I, I tried to favor a high moral stand in, in picking the textbooks. Uh, I wound up on the defense, not picking something I liked, but picking something that was not as bad as the others, both in science and, and social studies. Uh, one can read, uh, like for example, the school I'm principal of is a K-8 school. One could read uh, the entire social studies book in the 8th grade, which is American history. You would never gather that religion was a big part of these people's lives. I mean, you would know that some people came to this country for a religious freedom, but you would never gather that religion was a part of their life. You would not read the speeches where they quote from the Bible and, and base their thinking on that kind of thing. Uh, go to Washington, D.C., uh, visit the, the Washington Monument, visit the place where they have Lincoln. Uh, you'll see the speeches up there, and you, for example, Lincoln sticks in my mind, one statement after another, based Bible-based, and his belief in the providence of God, and, his, and all his understanding of what was happening at that time tied into his, his God-based attitude towards life. You won't get it uh, in the textbooks at all. Uh, Washington said that religion and morality are indispensable to political prosperity. Uh, if anyone labored to subvert these great pillars, they could not be called a patriot. Washington also warned that if we desert our religious, biblical obligations, there will be no security for either property or life. It's interesting that among the forefathers, uh, those that were not uh, strong from a Christian standpoint were deists. Uh, which means that obviously that they believed in God, but did not necessarily believe in the inspiration of the Bible. But when you read uh, Benjamin Franklin, for example, was a deist. Uh, when you read even of the deist, they, even with their beliefs about the Bible, believed it was a very high moral book and that society was better off. In other words, they really didn't attempt to fight the Bible because they thought it was good for society and that, that it was good for government and that you, you could not have a stable society without some basis of morality. So whereas they looked at the Bible as man reaching to God rather than God looking for man, they still had man at his best, man at his religious best, uh, seeking and, and having arrived at something that was very high from a moral standpoint. All right, now the question becomes, how do we go from this to, where's my little parade publication, uh, the, 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 to the monkey over here in Carl Sagan? How does the Supreme Court change so drastically from 1853 and, uh, to the present time? Uh, how does our how did our system change from people like uh, on TV, uh, Ozzie and Harriet, 
Father Knows Best, and Jack had comedians from Jack Benny to the, the type they've got. Now, what happened? Uh, it happened in my lifetime. You know, I was uh, with the old, uh, with the, where you couldn't have said a four-letter word and got away with it. Gone with the Wind almost uh, stayed out of the movies because of one word. Just one simple statement that, in fact, Gone with the Wind would be, I guess, PG today. And yet one statement almost uh, kept it uh, from being published and, and circulated. So the question is, what happened uh, in our society? Now, here's an interesting thing, too. I contrasted what we have going on now in our society and contrast that with the founding forefathers. And by the way, their idea of separation of church and state uh, was not separation of God from state or religion from state. Uh, it was separation from the church or from the state uh, favoring and establishing a particular church. They were fighting what they had in Europe where you had to be a member of the state-sponsored church and, and anything else could get you in difficulty. But never was they against uh, Christianity or religion in any sense of the word. Now, while we have this happening in our country, it looks bad, and you think, well, is Christianity going down the tubes? Uh, I mean, are, are we on the way out? Well, you, you can become very pessimistic in our country, but in the world as a whole, it's interesting that the opposite is occurring. Uh, in Africa, at the turn of the century, about 2% of the population was classified as Christian, and uh, now about 12% of the total population, and it's growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, in Nigeria, there are more Christians per capita than there are in the United States. Uh, after the, uh, the communists opened the door in China, we found, we, after all of the persecution and all, that we found that what had been a, a few hundred thousand Christians planted by missionaries had grown to over 50 million, over 50 million people in China today uh, professing belief in Jesus, and it's growing by leaps and bounds. In Russia... We cannot send enough missionaries there. Uh, they're preaching all over the place. The, uh, if you keep up with the Herald of Truth, uh, and Harold Hazelip is involved with that from David Lipscomb, uh, every time they go over there, they baptize several hundred people and start several churches. Uh, the church that I'm a part of, we've sent money for Bibles a number of times to, to Russia. The people line up and wait for Bibles, and they write for them, and they, and they beg for them. So in Africa, Mexico, uh, again, the church that I'm a part of, uh, Mark helps us on this, and uh, so does Tim. Uh, we're supporting a, a missionary in Mexico City. Uh, the last report I got from him, he had, was involved in a campaign, and 104 people were baptized. Uh, that's almost unbelievable to us. But yet I know Alva is in, in my age category. He can remember the gospel meetings in years past where 50 or 60 people would respond to the gospel, and 25 or 30 of them would be baptized, where they'd throw up a tent meeting and baptize 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 people, and where meetings would go on two or three weeks at a time. That what went on then, here, is going on in Mexico now, it's going on in South America, it's going on in Africa, it's going on in all the third world countries. In the world as a whole, there are more Christians per capita than there was a generation ago. In the United States, fewer. At the turn of the century, uh, an estimated 41% of our population, conservative fundamentalist believers, now about 30%. Uh, and, and so what we're saying now, the question becomes, too, between this that we read about Washington and all those people, the question becomes, did the times make those men, or did those men make the times? And in our situation today in this country are the times making the people, Carl Sagan, the Supreme Court, etc., are the people making the times. And I think that's something to, to think about, that, that what has happened in our society. So I want to bring you with that background, if you'd open your Bibles to the most uh, passage you can all quote, but you can still look at it, in Romans 1 and verse 16, because this will be the theme uh, for this is the theme for the book of Romans, and beginning tomorrow, we will start an exegesis of, of Romans that will go through whatever amount of time that we've got and get as far as we can.
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm just going to substitute the word good news there. That's what it is. I am not ashamed of the good news because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the good news, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Why do you think Paul made that statement? I'm not ashamed of the good news. Someone's obviously ashamed of the good news or he wouldn't have to make that mistake. Okay, somebody's obviously ashamed. Uh, Paul is writing this about 58 AD. Nero is on the throne in Rome. The uh, persecution of Christians uh, by Nero really hasn't started yet. It'll be, uh, it'll, he'll get down to the nitty-gritty there about 64, and it's right in that time that Peter and Paul will lose their life, according to the uh, historical records that we have. Uh, the Jew is doing everything he can to stamp out Christianity. Christianity is a little wayward sect that's looked down on in the world at this time. Uh, remember when Paul went to Rome at the end of Acts, uh, the last chapter in Acts, Acts 28, and by the way, that's about 60 A.D., and remember with a Roman guard, he had his own rented house, and these people came to him, and they wanted to know about this sect that was causing so much trouble, and then he went about to talk. Paul didn't want anybody to think that he was ashamed of this. The reason that there were a lot of Christians that weren't speaking out because they were ashamed. They weren't ashamed in the sense that they disbelieved it. They were ashamed in the sense that, that I used to be, and you've had this experience in various ways, when I come from a, a poor family. And uh, I can remember as, as a kid starting those early teen years, and back then they had what they got blue jeans. They don't even have the tight blue jeans back then. And, and people in my financial category, your parents bought the blue jeans uh, a size too big, and then they were stitched up in the back, and they were long, and they were stitched up, and then as you grew, you opened them up, and you let them down. Did any of you ever, that, nobody in that, Alvin, not even you there? And, and I, when I went to school, the well-to-do kids had Levi's. And so I went, I can remember when I started high school, I was embarrassed because I went with my, my farmer's blue jeans and the people that had something, you know, had on Levi's, you know. And I can remember being embarrassed at that. I never thought about it at home now around my family or around people that didn't have any more than I had. It was no, no, no big deal to me. But when I got around those that had more, in the same way, you maybe, well, your children, that's why that they want to be in whatever the style is. It doesn't matter at home, but when they get out, they would be embarrassed to wear some things or ashamed of it. So anytime you're in a situation where what it is that you believe or espouse is looked down on by others, even though you may believe it, I've known young people that were ashamed of their parents with their lack of education and, and uh, social matters and, and, and things. You can be ashamed of that. You can be ashamed of a member of your family, even though you love them. Uh, you can still be ashamed of that person. Well, there were people here that were Christians that, were, that believed it, but were ashamed of the gospel because it was so looked down on in that pagan world. The Greeks thought it was foolishness. It was an absurdity. You mean that this Jesus is God incarnate? Well, see, the, the Grecian philosophy of the day, there wasn't a, they were, there were some things they were agreed on. They were agreed, for example, that the flesh is evil and that a, a, a perfect God could not dwell in something as evil as the, as the flesh. By the way, John, in his letters, is, is fighting some of this. But uh, they believe that, and the idea that you're saying that God dwelt in human flesh and walked among you, that this, this lowly Nazarene from Galilee with no formal education, that is God incarnate, that is absurd. And then they executed him, and you guys claim he's alive? Ridiculous. To the Jews, it was blasphemy. 
And so therefore, if you were a Christian, that's why that uh, you find these statements like Peter, if any man suffer, let him suffer as a as a Christian and, and all that, that these people were suffering anguish and persecution, not just physically, but mentally. And that's why Peter says, be ready to give an oral defense for what you believe and the hope that is within you, because they're going to try to put you down. Okay, now I've said all that simply to say this, and you can probably already see where we're going and will be the, the part of the study this week. I really believe that part of our problem in spreading Christianity is we've got a lot of Christians who believe who are intellectually and morally ashamed of the gospel. We're, we're ashamed to come out in, uh, all, and we're not in our church buildings. But when we get out, we're, come to, we're ashamed of a Messiah that said that marriage was until death do you part. And that was his law, and anything else was an exception, but the law was until death do you part. We're, we're ashamed of a Messiah that says that, that homosexuality is the result of a, of a mind set, Paul said in Romans, we'll get to, where people have turned away from God and they have become so depraved in their thinking that men run around burning in their lust for one another and women burning in their lust for one another and within their bodies doing absolutely indecent and perverting things that people don't even, shouldn't even talk about. That was Paul. And in our society, where it's, it's gay and it's acceptable and, and all, it's, 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 a, it's somewhat of an shame to come out and say that we believe those in a society that does not have definite right and wrongs. That uh, in a society that has been influenced almost totally in the songs, in the TV programs, by existential philosophy. And I don't know, uh, how many of you, by the way, just out of curiosity, are familiar with the term existential philosophy and know what's involved there? Anybody that's going through college and all would be into that, but people that don't even know the word are into it. Uh, most of John Denver's songs, for example, are existential. Um, many of the songs are existential. To the existentialist, truth is what you perceive to be truth. That is it. In other words, that it's as you perceive it, but don't force your truth on me. There is no ultimate truth. The truth is always a relative thing. It is something that you perceive, and yes, that's true to you. And I'll, but don't you tell me uh, that this is that. And yet, in this type of situation, that's why you know Dan Quayle was mocked so much on the Murphy Brown. It's okay to have those values. For example, it's okay to believe that abortion is wrong. Don't stand up and tell somebody else it's wrong. It's okay to believe a lot of things that's wrong in our society. Just don't vocalize that you believe that it's just as wrong for somebody else that it is, as it is for you. And so here we have a Messiah and a book that says there's definite right and wrongs. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach of any people. We have a law where it says the law of the Lord is perfect. Uh, a law where David would say that I'm wiser than my enemies. Uh, I'm wiser than the ancient. I'm wiser than my teachers because I've meditated on your precepts and therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. The entrance of thy word gives understanding in Psalms 119 beginning with verse 97. And so these real definite strong statements about right and wrong are somewhat of an embarrassment. Uh, in a society that wants everything gray. Uh, it's somewhat of an embarrassment to say that, uh, that people ought to dress in a modest way, that, uh, that, that maybe a bikini is immodest. You see, that, you know, nobody's going to say that much anymore. Maybe short shorts are immodest. Uh, maybe if, if God has created men so that they're visually oriented and all, uh, that uh, the willful dressing in such a way as to try to turn on a male or to get some kick out of that, just maybe that's immodest and, and wrong. Well, it has some straight statements there. What I'm saying is that I believe that in order to live in a society where we go from this to this, there's had to be a lot of Christians that have just simply clammed up along the way. The evidence is no weaker now than it's ever been. Uh, and people are no different. 
And when this gospel went out to the Roman world, and Paul, Paul really is saying in Romans, I can't, and wrote to the Romans, I can't wait to get there. That's what he's saying. I can't wait to get there. I've been trying to get to you, and something always gets in my way. But I want you to know one thing. I'm not ashamed. It's not because I'm ashamed of the good. What he's really saying, and he says it over and over, that I want to get there. Something keeps getting in my way. He said, I want you people to know it's not because I'm ashamed to come and preach the gospel of Rome. I can't wait to get to Rome. And when I get there, I'm going to shout it from the housetops. He's going to talk before kings or, or anybody else. Well, Paul, why do you feel that way? Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Uh, every individual, the homosexual and the straight, male and female, Jew and Gentile, black and white, lives in a body that's decaying before their very eyes. And, and, and the good news is that there's a way out. And every individual has a conscience, and he walks around with guilt because he doesn't even live, forget about the written law, he does not even live up to his own conscience and what he can perceive, and therefore he walks around with guilt, and, and he fills the mental wards, and he has nervous breakdowns, and he has all kinds of problems because he walks around with frustration and guilt and in a dead and dying and, and chaotic world. And so Paul says, no, I'm not ashamed. It's, it's the only answer to the man-can's problems. Okay, your response. What do you, what do you think Christians can do to, uh, at this point, to reverse the trend? Okay, I think that... Uh, I think that what some are doing, I differ with. Like, uh, for example, what I see here, the influence on our government when this country started was not as a result of Christians marching in the streets, like, for example, uh, the anti-abortionists, who sometimes march in the streets and circle these places and they, they shout ugly things back and forth and all like that. In my opinion, I believe that cheapens uh, Christianity. I believe that the, the way, I think that every time you convert a person, then you affect that person's thinking in whatever occupation. Uh, for example, I'm a principal in a public school system. My values and my thinking definitely affect the decisions. When, when, I, when I interview and hire teachers uh, that I don't write down everything, but my values and my thinking definitely affect, affect me as I, as I hire teachers, as I run the school or have a part in the hiring of anybody. If the superintendent is, his values will affect him. I mean, if he's really converted. If you elect a congressman and he's, he's, he's a Christian, his values will affect him in those, in those moral <coughs> things. And the same is true with, uh, with other positions and in other jobs. If your editor of the newspaper uh, is a Christian, it will show itself uh, in that newspaper. So I'm saying I, I believe the way is not trying to force what you believe is right on others, I believe it's through evangelism and the converting of people to Christ. And and that's the Rome was a totalitarian government. And they would have been stoned to death trying to force their views on Rome. They just simply went about converting people one at a time. And the first thing you know, Christianity ate up the Roman Empire philosophically. I mean, whatever happened to idolatry? Christianity wiped it out. Whatever happened to slavery? It was Christianity that wiped out slavery and, 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 and the things that it did to the, to the thinking of people. But I think that, that we, that so many even conservative Christians today think of changing our society through political action. When it used to be, we, we thought in terms of just evangelizing and converting people. And then those converted people are obviously, uh, what's the difference between the Supreme Court in 1853? and the Supreme Court that's made some of the decisions that ours has made in, in, in our generation. Christians on, the Supreme Court. Christians on the Supreme Court. Obviously, look at those statements referring to Jesus as the Redeemer of, of mankind. They just couldn't conceive of it any other way. Uh, are any of you familiar with the book, A Lawyer Examines the Bible? It's by Irvin Linton. Irvin Linton was a member of our Supreme Court in the 1940s, early 1940s. And leaving the Supreme Court, he wrote the book that's used in Christian evidence as a lawyer examines the Bible. And he just simply approaches the Bible as a lawyer examining evidence for it. Uh, on page 50 of that book, after building a tremendous case 
he comes to the conclusion that of all the events that have ever happened in history, none is so substantiated by a variety of quality evidence as the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, can you see how powerful that is to our young people that we're bringing up, knowing that prominent people are believers in God? See, this is the danger that's happening in our textbooks. Our young people are not having it impressed in their mind that they believe in God. The, the worst thing that happened when they took prayer out of school was not taking prayer out of the school per se. The, the best thing that happens when you have a prayer is these young people know that that teacher, that principal, that coach, whoever it is, believed in God. Uh, when I, in high school, I, had a bas I played basketball, and my basketball coach was a Roman Catholic. Before, prayer, before a game, he had prayer, and it had to do with the safety and sportsmanship and things like that. It just, uh, I just looked at him and I thought, here, here, I liked him and respected him. It just said to me that basically it was something in my mind. Here is a very respectable person in sports who believes in God. And it, it at least gives credibility from the standpoint of maybe you're examining that concept. I'm saying that every one of you in your occupations and jobs, just letting people know that you believe very strongly in God. Uh, you know, I thank God for a Reggie White. Uh, who's an All-American and an outstanding defensive end, uh, who is not backward in standing up before the young people and saying, don't do drugs and don't do this, and, and I believe in God, and he does uh, affect my decisions. Or, uh, or the same with the Joe Gibbs or some of those other people like that, or Alon Landry when he was at Dallas. And I'm saying that when you speak out, if you're living your life uh, as a Christian, if you're not, uh, don't speak out. I wish, I wish people like Jimmy Swigert shut their mouth, uh, that if you're not, don't. But if you are, just letting people know you believe in God, and that has to do if, uh, uh, Mark, you have a good marriage, and, and you're rearing your children, Mark and Nance and the others, and, and if you're doing a good job with your children, and your children are not uh, are handling the situations of life, they'll have problems and all, but you're handling them, and, and you've got an obviously obvious good marriage before others that you know, you're a light for the Lord. And, and you let them know the marriage is no accident. It comes about because of following the, the teaching of Christ. But the, the and then, that where we're not aggressive is actually trying to, to reach people and convert them. And I believe there's all kinds of people that can be converted. It's just a matter of, of getting the information to them in the right way. Uh, Barbara, you had? Well, I was just going to say, I think sometimes we don't realize what we can do, how much influence that we can have in our own you to watch that program and they know what what people watch is is sex and violence mm -hmm. and so I saw the, the same advertisement uh, that showed the kissing and then all of a sudden the camera drops to the floor and here you have the undergarments followed uh, to the floor and here is a teenage couple and uh, and, and and for young people uh, the way it was before it's hard enough to keep everything in check with the desires and everything and then they, that kind of thing is just constantly uh, fanned in an open way. I'd say the biggest difference, and see the the people that argue from the other side, I think are somewhat dishonest on that. I'm not. I'm talking about even from the secular standpoint. They say, well, there's 
uh, you've got David and Bathsheba in the Bible. You know, David went up and he looked, and there was the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. But notice the difference. David goes up, he looks at Bathsheba, she's bathing. And David uh, obviously lusted in his heart, and he called up Bathsheba, and the adultery takes place. There, if this was written in uh, our vernacular today, there would be a vivid description of Bathsheba designed to fan the lust of the individual that was reading. In other words, I can read about the adultery of David without having anything kindled in me at all. Uh, but the, the, today it would be designed to fan that in the description of it. And then after the act takes place, it right away lets you know that David has sinned and what David did was not pleasing to the Lord. And the next thing right after that, here comes Nathan on the scene. David, you are the man. Uh, you've, you've, you've done a terrible thing. Well, see, that's a lot of difference. So if, we, if, we're gonna, if you've got a movie where adultery takes place, like these people will say that's the reality of life. Well, that's right. Adultery is always and always will take place. But if in that movie... It is also shown, let's say that you're not even a Christian, the natural consequences of adultery and fornication are terrible. I mean, forget about Christianity. The law of the Lord is perfect. And look at the divorces. And, and man, I know, is anybody else in the school system besides me? Anybody else here? Uh, we deal with it all the time. Uh, I spend hours counseling and talking with little kids uh, because of the problems in their life brought about by Divorce. A little boy I'm talking to, a little girl yesterday, she was crying and come in and she's living with her grandmother and she goes back and forth between her father and dad. I says, well, I guess what you'd like is your mom and daddy to get her problems straight and, and get together. And she says, no. She says, I like living with my granddad and my grandma. I said, why is that? She says, all my mom and daddy do is just fight all the time. And says, my, my little sister and I get scared and we, and we cry. Well, mom and daddy really duke it out. And, and that's what they're coming from. And when I'm saying that when you see on TV or the movies, the adultery takes place, the fornication takes place, the looseness, but where are the consequences? Well, see, if they wanted to show that even, but show the consequences, that is reality. But they show that lifestyle and they glorify that lifestyle, and there's no consequences uh, to that particular lifestyle. said he pointed it out to her and she could acknowledge it then but he had to actually point it out i can understand how that can happen in a way i spent four years in the marine corps and i can remember when i first went in and i heard the kind of language uh, i remember the first time that that drill instructor cut loose on me i was shocked you know nobody ever talked like that way to me and i was brought up in a pretty rough situation but after a while it was just like so much water off a duck's back they could cuss all around me and it was just there. And then you reach the point, I went in when I was 19, you have to fight yourself, or the same words are slipping out of your mouth. I mean, here you are, here I go in, and, and I'm so conscientious when I first went in that I'm carrying the Lord's Supper with me, and I keep it in my locker, and any time that I can't get to a service or anything that I'm worshiping, and but all my buddies were this way, and I found those words, I found various thoughts creeping into my mind. It is difficult to live in that environment uh, and, and not have that happen. 
uh, our young people have a much more difficult time coming up morally than I had uh, when I was young. A, a, I can't imagine dating when I was young and seeing the kinds of things these young people look at and, and, and coming who didn't even have the law in his own conscience. He perceived the things of the law and stood condemned in and of his own conscience. That, uh, that nobody can get away from the fact they're made in the image of God. Inwardly, they identify with what is right. I can remember as a young person hearing the Sermon on the Mount proclaimed in, in sermons, coming from a background of a lot of skepticism, and yet there was something in that message that just hit truth in my inner being, stepped all over my toes. But it hit, it, 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 you just wind up. In other words, I may be a proud person. But when the Lord condemns pride and exalts humility, I know where he's coming from. And I can see the rightness in that statement, even though I may be too much on the, on the other side. So I'm saying you don't have, that we ought to be speaking up. You're speaking to the hearts of people that are created by God. They will inwardly identify, even some that holler the loudest. Deep down in their heart, they know there is more evidence than you can shake a stick at for the deity of Jesus and the inspiration of the Bible. We need to do what Peter said and be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, and yet with meekness and in, in fear. But we, we need to be very studious. We can't watch a lot of things we do and at the same time be as studious as we need to be in order to learn that information. I believe there are all kinds of people out there that can be reached. Uh, I believe it's just a matter of us uh, being and, and not only being a type person, but but actually going out of our way to get that into conversation. I mean, if we can get Tennessee football and and whatever kind of basketball in the conversation, I believe we can get Jesus in there too. And I, I really don't believe that it's that's that difficult to do, because everybody lives in a dying body, and somewhere along the line, when people stop to think, they know they're dying. And that's not a pleasant thought to anybody. So you, you've got it. The Lord is preparing your audience. Thank God for death. I don't know how we'd be without it. Uh, but the Lord is preparing the audience. And, and he's keeping you prepared. That dying body keeps you aware that of, 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 some, of a desire for something beyond uh, what you would have here. But I think we have to speak out more and not be ashamed of the fact in public that, that you really believe that this book is written by people that are inspired by God. Now, I believe on the talk shows and all the, if I was dealing with those people, I'd say, listen, if I did not believe that this was written by people that were inspired by God, I have no qualms with homosexuality. If, that, if those guys get their kicks out of doing those things they do, you know, it does, it's sickening to me, in, in all honesty, but if they do, as long as they don't affect me, let them go their way. But, I believe what I do because I believe this is inspired. But the reason I believe it's inspired is because of the evidence contained. And so if I'm going to be exposed as wrong, then somebody is going to have to deal with that evidence. And they're going to have to, have to counteract the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus and the, the evidence for the Bible. Then if they counteract that, then I'll throw aside those, those other views. But you've got something that can handle any argument and all the information is there. We don't have to be ashamed for the morality and the godliness and the righteousness of the New Testament. And we do definitely don't have to be ashamed of our Lord who, who died for us and went to a cross. Well, based on the fact that you were saying, you know, people getting hit with so much stuff now that it would be hard to, you know, go back to the way you were. Politicians have that problem. Even if we put somebody in there that appears to, you know, have Christian values, once they get in there with the others, they don't stand a chance. Uh, our Christian, uh, a lot of Christians have been influenced by the existential philosophy. It's like, I believe it's wrong, but I can't. Now, grant you, I'm not saying you can legislate, you know, everything on people, but the fact that you at least believe in it. In other words, uh, for example, uh, I listened to a candidate the other day, and, and the candidate said, I believe personally that abortion is wrong, but I believe the woman ought to have the right, etc." and they went in to the other. Why not just say, I personally believe it's wrong, you know, I, and I, and, but I believe that if every, God doesn't force, but, but at least 
come on strong that I believe it's wrong, I believe. In other words, I'm saying, they say, I believe it's wrong, but then the emphasis is on the woman ought to have the right to choose. And I'm saying, yes, we live in a free society. Uh, she may choose any number of things that I believe is wrong, but why not come on strong with the reason why? Well, then if you are a respectable person uh, that is well thought of and intelligent, etc., and you come on strong with why you believe it's wrong, what you want is that other person. You don't want to force it on them. You want them to think and examine the information and make the, the decision for themselves. I believe the, the evidence for what is right will always win out in the minds of the majority if it's given an honest shake. And, and unlike the people that uh, to circle the uh, abortion houses and, and holler things, I think that's the worst possible thing to do, that it's through a reasoning process, but we need not be backward for what we believe from a moral standpoint. Anybody else want to make any comments? Okay, uh, tomorrow we will start with an introduction to the book of Romans, and uh, I'll go ahead and give you a, a sheet tonight, and there'll be some more here tomorrow, I think, based on what I've been told and then give uh, to them. I've divided Roman, Romans actually falls into four several neat sections. And so this is the way that we'll look at it. And uh, I'm approaching the study uh, from the standpoint that uh, everybody's read Romans. Okay, because obviously in, in the small amount of time that we're having, you're not going to go verse for verse through uh, you know, a very deep book and all. So we're approaching it from the standpoint that everybody's read it and we'll concentrate on, on just certain parts of it. Uh, Mark, would you see? Um, yeah, uh, huh? I don't know that we really answered Mark's question. What, 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 what we can do. I, well, I'm saying that we need to put more emphasis on... Begin with children and then family and then... Right. On evangelism itself that... And don't underestimate uh, what we can do. A few years back, there was tremendous emphasis on evangelism among Christians, uh, uh, tremendous. Uh, now, we have turned inward, and we're concerned about our families, but we do very little to reach out. That's because I'm okay, and you're okay, and everybody's okay. That's philosophy. It's a lot easier to approach a person that already believes the Bible, invite them to church and all, than to start with this person... Uh, that, he is, that is on drugs or has a messed up life or is an infidel and, and really have to work and deal with that individual. Uh, yeah, I was just, like today I was studying with some friends I stayed with and they were talking about their problems with their husbands and wives. They don't have a Christian outlook and it's all I can do is to talk about anything and the same. But the most important part of my life, you know, God and everything. You feel, you feel afraid to bring it up, you know? But that's what, you go know, ahead and bring it and up. And I told you, know, I was talking about coming, you know, on this retreat and everything, and it's kind of like, you know, they just kind of listen, and they just, you know, they don't, you know, and I don't know why you should feel like that, but you shouldn't, I know, but it's, you yeah, I try. I think you feel like they're uncomfortable, and so yeah. that makes yeah. you uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's, it's still, it's, it's good that, uh, <coughs> I can remember uh, when I was a senior in high school, the, uh, the, my fr closest friend, his dad was a chaplain in the military. And at the time, I was, uh, I thought, I didn't go to church uh, or anything, but I had a background where my mother believed the Bible and I was read the Bible and things like that. But I wasn't going to church or anything, but I'd had some definite interest, and obviously I thought about death and all. And I can remember being with around his dad when I'd be in, he was in my house and I was in his house and hoping he would bring up the subject because I, I was full of questions. I can remember going to church and they'd talk about the miracles and I'd think, well, how do you know? You didn't see it. You know, how can you know those things for sure? And I had all these questions. I would have loved for him to bring it up. But Throughout our entire senior year, we were best friends. I was in his house. I was with his family a number, a number of times. Uh, never once was a subject. And see, I was a young person. I wasn't going to ask him. Or, or even, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was cool, too. I wasn't going to show I was interested in religion. He had an audience. 
uh, when somebody invited me to church, I went. That's how I wound up going, is somebody inviting me. And by the way, statistics, I forget where I read this. I believe it's in the publication of Christian Chronicle that comes out once a month. 85% of all visitors to church services go there because they're specifically asked by a member. 85% of all the visitors have been specifically asked by a member. People on the street are not going to walk into our buildings just out of the cold. That would be the unusual thing. They're going to come in because somebody that has made it obvious to them that you like them and you care for them and you're interested in them and you've invited them and invited them and, and, and tried to persuade them to come to service with you or to some kind of a Bible study and you're really showing an interest in them. And I think that's where this thing of shame, I think we all live it in this secular society. Uh, it, it was a lot different a generation back. I've been on campaigns where you, I wasn't the least bit hesitant, going around knocking on doors, inviting people to service. Uh, most of them thought you were just, an, uh, if they didn't come, thought you was nice for doing that. Well, now you'd, you know, that wouldn't be that way. You know, and by the way, I'm not advocating going around knocking on strange doors. I don't think that's the best thing in our society today. But uh, I'm saying that it's, it's easy to be a little bit ashamed. And if you are, and I have been in cases where I'd, I'd say afterwards I should have spoke out, we need to come to grips with that and, and really begin to speak out. Funerals are a great opportunity. Uh, anybody that's sick and you're dealing with them, uh, that, that's a great opportunity also. Any family that's having problems rearing their children, a great opportunity. I think in the church are just programmed to, to not talk about spiritual things. At least that's been my experience in talking with real religious people in other groups. They talk more freely about their belief in the Lord and what he's done for them in their lives. And we've just been taught to be more reserved. And it's, yeah. it's hard for me. And like with my brothers, when they come in, I know I'll say something to them, but I, I understand Rita. It's like when I go and they're there, I'm the party pooper, you know. I mean, everybody's laughing and having fun. And then, you know, well, you well there's a time and a place, but it ought to get in. Uh, but still, if you don't watch this stuff, it never gets in. By the way, we've got a lot. We've, we've, I don't want to offend anybody on this, but we've operated for so many years under this cloud that we've got all truth and all. I'm telling you, there's some people out there that's got some things to teach us. Barbara and I have been in several mission works. And like one lady, we met them. Uh, in fact, we met them again. I'm thinking of the Parker family. Uh, we had a part in, in uh, they had been le left a holiness group to come because they were convinced of certain things through study. And I could remember studying with her about the Holy Spirit and the gifts and all, and her crying, and yet still embracing and saying, I can see that, what you're saying and all. But she taught us some things. You know, we got her in, and, and the idea of not having a creed book and being just a Christian and, and all of that was, uh, and having a, the message that was to your mind and all first and your emotions second was appealing to her. But what she taught us, we began to pick up on what a personal relationship uh, that when you went into her house, she wanted to have prayer. She'd call Barbara up on the phone and she wanted to pray with her over some, some problem. She talked about Jesus as a friend. Uh, we come from a background where our mission in life has been to show the other people where they are mechanically wrong on how they worship or their organization or something like that. And our preaching that we've heard has centered around those particular things. And we don't come from a background where our fellowship has emphasized a personal relationship with God and Christ and, and, and has actually encouraged us to share these in a, in a personal way and get involved in people's life. It's, it's been a much more uh, colder type thing with the emphasis uh, in, a, in another area. And by the way, the groups that are growing are those groups that are, that are in that evangelical thing and, and are very personal in the relationship with Christ. Yeah, we, we've, uh, right, we've got the plan. We don't know a lot about the man. We've got, we've got the plan down the path. Okay, um, anybody else want to make any comments? I just wonder if uh, things will change very much as long as things go so well for our society. I think that's a real good observation, Alva, a very good observation that uh, we are prosperous 
It's the downtrodden that want change. That's what's happening in Russia. Their system fell apart and they're grasping for something that, that works and all. And right, it, it, uh, some of the things that we think are bad in our society may wind up being good spiritually in, in the long run. Uh, AIDS may turn out, we may, uh, 200 years later, AIDS may turn out to be a, a spiritual giant if it causes uh, people to, in any of the consequences of sin, I hate to see this country suffer. But I don't know how we can live the way we do and mock God and not. And if it motivates repentance, then, then let, the, let it fall. I mean, if, if we've got to, uh, uh, I've reached the point where I'm just embarrassed at a lot of things that goes on in our country. Uh, that, uh, I mean, in the way that we, the, the crime, the, the fighting within, the ugliness, uh, the immorality, we are looked on as one of the most immoral. The reason we can't reach the Muslims as they look on us as the country of the devil, that uh, we are looked on by them as absolutely immoral because of the, our lifestyle. I mean, they would not allow the kind of morality that, that we do. And, it's, and, of course, as Christians, they just think of us as representative of that kind of lifestyle. We, we need to do a good job of separating this country from Christianity. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. There are just individual Christians within that nation. I, I think that's a good observation. Any other 